Music's not hype enough today. Playoff baseball back in the city, baby! Wild card, yes! Yes! I'll never forgive the people who hated on that wild card. I've, I'll never forgive. I'll never forget. When the Jays made one playoff series in a billion years in 2015, then 2016, people were like, is wild card even playoffs I went yes yes it is three games is definitely playoffs Blue Jays is definitely Arden's Welling what's up buddy how we doing today oh it's playoffs oh it's, it's playoffs. playoffs today. Oh, it's, it's playoffs oh it's playoffs today a hundred percent you see everybody around the city rocking all the gear and you just kind of feel it that little buzz in the air all the people get to go down to the ballpark everybody gets to get that little bit of extra boozy electricity going uh, the chance, the big spots, the pukey feelings, the relief. Like, there's nothing like this. And I've been saying this now for the last 48 hours, but it, it it's weird, right? It, it feels like 2016 was just yesterday until you actually look at, you know, how time works in calendars and go, oh, this is really far back, actually. It <laughs> turns out that was a long time ago. I, weirdly, like, the Kawhi shot feels further back in time than the Edwin walk-off to me. I don't know how my brain works, but I swear that's right. Like, back me up on that, guys. Like, behind the glass. See, Josh Josh nodded. That makes sense. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, well, you look back at the lineup that the Blue Jays had in that game, right? Devin Travis led off for Hell the Blue yeah. Jays. That day. When's the last time awesome. Devin Travis was an affiliated ball? Uh, I mean, you had Michael Saunders in that lineup, Ezekiel Carrera in the Legend. nine hole. Underrated. Are you me? When I see guys with the Ezekiel <laughs> Carrera jerseys, I know they got it during that one super hot streak he had. And I go, respect. That's, that's true respect to me. When you're just living in the moment with a jersey and you go with the moment, that, that's an ultimate, you get the tip of the cap from JD. It's a completely different team, man. I mean, Pete Walker might be the only guy in uniform. Louis Rivera, too. Those yeah. might be the only guys in uniform who yeah. are still there. I don't think Danny Jansen was up yet. I don't think he was up in 16. No. I'd have to double check. He wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't. So he would be the only guy with a shot to have even been around. for. He was in the organization. You know, like Bo Bichette had just been drafted in yeah. 2016. That's, that's what it is. Bo Bichette was just drafted as a 17-year-old homeschooled kid out of Florida that year and now he's in his fourth mlb season that's how long it's been yeah i i don't know why it feels like it wasn't that long ago and i was gonna say too is didn't the astros won in 2017 right so george springer wasn't a world series champion yet no he was not yeah, yeah the astros didn't win that year yeah that's what i'm saying that's how long ago that was astros hadn't even cheated every astro other than george springer hadn't even cheated yet george was trying to tell the guys like no guys this is bad this is wrong. I won't participate. And the rest of them cheated their way to a World Series. It's a shame. It's a real shame. Um, so, okay, let's just get some of the, the business that you know about. And few other people will actually have an idea as to what's going on um, out of the way. Um, where are we at with Guriel and Espinal? Espinal, I think, is on the roster. And uh-huh. Guriel, at this point, I'll be surprised if he's not. I think there's still there's still a chance that he's not. But at this point, I'll kind of be surprised that he's not. So I think they're both going to be good to go. But is either guy playing unless, like, in a... Like, is either guy actually starting any of these ball games, Or is this more of a pinch hit situation? Like, I guess Guriel, maybe later in the series, you want to give him a look. And you, and you got to trot these guys out there at some point in time. But 
Espinal has been jumped. Like, he's been Wally Pipped. I don't think anybody wants Witt out of the lineup at this point. He's red hot. And so he feels like more of a break glass in case of emergency guy. But Gurriel, if he's healthy, like, how healthy does he have to be before they just run him out there? Well, that's the interesting thing, right? And you're totally bang on. I think that Espinal will be on the roster, but Whit Merrifield will be the starting second baseman. Um, and you want Espinal around defensively late in games. Uh, so that's that will be his role, I think, in game one. Uh, I wonder about Lourdes in game two. I would probably prefer him to copy against Robbie Ray. 100%. Too, assuming it's Ray. So we'll see just what, you know, what Lourdes is capable of doing. To this point, um, Goriel also one of the Blue Jays' best hitters against high velo. So the Ray, the the uh, I almost called them the Rays. Jeez, the uh, the Mariners are going to throw some really premium velocity at the Blue Jays, and Goriel is a guy who can turn that around with the best of them. So uh, I think that's another sneaky role for him in this series. Is is the word that he's actually healthy, or that they're rushing him back because of this? Because I would assume that the, the it's either one of two things: either they were being overly cautious. And they were waiting for this moment and deciding, hey, there's absolutely no reason to play him in an Orioles games and risk anything. But it seems a little bit more likely that they would have wanted to get him into a meaningless game and get him some ABs. And now to have him be ready for this postseason series says to me, hey, he's probably still, you know, uh, what, let's say 75 percent, 70 percent. The Orioles series was so weird with the weather and with the uncertainty of when those games would be played, if they'd be played, what they meant. Like, like I was there, and the Blue Jays didn't have any idea until you know, pretty close to some game times whether the games are going to be played or not. Like Game one of that series, the Jays were all sitting around in their clubhouse like 30 minutes to first pitch, certain that it was going to be postponed. They're in their sweats playing cards. Dude, they, why'd they play that to down. the eighth inning, okay? Like, that was the dumbest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. They're like, it's an official game. I go, okay, wrap it up. It's pouring rain out here. It's a, And then all of a sudden, randomly, the bases are loaded in the eighth inning. Poor Whit Merrifield. He's like, I'm red hot. This is going to be sweet for the stats. And they go, nah, no, now the game's over. This is enough for us. Eighth inning, that's when we decide. As the guy who was sitting in the camera well when it was nine degrees and pouring rain, I agree with you. I don't. I also. I have the same so question. Why are we still playing this game? Um, why is this happening? But yeah, the Blue Jays had no idea that game was even going to happen. There was like thirty minutes to game time, and the call game came down. They're like, "Yeah, well, guys, we're playing. Like we're playing like thirty minutes." And they all had to get changed and get going and rush through their preps. So as it pertains to Lourdes, like the Blue Jays just weren't sure if they were going to have a game to get them into. They sent them home early from Baltimore just to work under the roof and to hit off of Matt Gage and Julian Merriweather and to run the bases at Rogers Center because they were like, we just, we're not dealing with this Baltimore crap anymore. I think the big hesitation with Lourdes really would be that he just hasn't been in a game in a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, his rehab or his recovery did take longer than Espinal's. There was a point where Lourdes was well ahead of Espinal in his recovery, and then Espinal sped his up, and Lourdes', Lourdes recovery sort of slowed down a little bit. There's about a week there where every day the Blue Jays were saying he's going to run the bases tomorrow. He's going to run the bases tomorrow. He's going to run the bases tomorrow. So it's interesting, you know, just how much he's going to be able to do. But I do, I do expect they'll both be on the roster. Yeah. I, okay. He should obviously be on the roster, and I would imagine that again, you ease him in with probably a pinch hit situation. But he's yeah, just I he's, think so, and he he mentioned that that's something that that could be a possibility. I talked to him in Baltimore, and, and he was saying that's something he'd be up for doing. Right, but I, I just wonder if that's going to end up actually being his role throughout the playoffs, and then maybe eventually a series or two in that he's there because it's it's just such a weird 
guy right now because he's so clearly important to this baseball team in terms of hitting their max ceiling, right? Espinal is not. You mentioned it already. He Right now, he's a defensive replacement. He can come in, yeah, I guess, at some point if there's a matchup they feel more comfortable with him, but the way Witt is gone, it's just it's pretty undeniable that he should be playing every single day. And, yeah, with Lourdes, though, it's, it's just going to be hard to see games where, yeah, Tapia is out there, or I would assume that they're not going to have games where they start a guy like Jackie Bradley Jr., but even still, like, seeing those guys on the field, seeing those guys playing and having Lourdes in the dugout, I, I, I just think that's, that's formula for feeling a little bit awkward early on. I think the Blue Jays feel confident in their depth, and they feel good about a sure. guy like Tapia, right, starting um, in left uh, in game one. I mean, he's you know he's got his warts, obviously, and we've seen enough of them that those warts have been exposed at times this year. But he's also a guy who makes great contact, cool battle, who's like creates havoc and chaos on mm-hmm. the base paths a lot of the time. I w- you know it's possible that you see a, a lineup construction today where Lourdes is the DH. I mean, that's not out of the out of the realm. It would mean Danny Jansen isn't in your lineup. And the way that he's hitting lately, I mean, you wouldn't love that. But that is a possibility that Lewis draws in the DH instead of Danny Jansen. Alejandro Kirk's obviously going to catch Alec Manoa. So maybe it's, you know, Kirk is catching today and Jansen's catching tomorrow. It's a few different ways they can go. But I know the Blue Jays feel good about their depth and about the different ways that they can kind of maneuver their way through this. Do you think that the Mariners on the up and up when it comes to starting Ray in game two? Is this tactics? And what would and starting Gilbert instead? Yeah. Like, like do you do um, you take that as gospel when they say that he's getting game two? They they could always change it. Absolutely. The Blue Jays are doing a similar thing, right? Like yeah. they're throwing smoke screens all over the place about the game two starter and about what they're considering and when they're gonna make the decision. And I think that's the right thing to do. Like I I've been advocating for this for weeks. I think the Blue Jays, if they win game one, should start roster if they end game two. Everyone smart thinks one, that. Everyone smart thinks that. Only only guys like Ben Ennis don't think that. <laughs> if you lose game one you start Kevin Gossett. Yeah. Obviously. No um, duh. So, so, yeah, I think that the, the Mariners definitely could uh, pivot depending on what happens in game one. I think that both teams should be looking to do that. Yeah, um, I, I've been on this position for a long time, too. I'll let you say that you were the first, you know, because it's cooler to be like, hey, I was on this weeks ago. I was only on this like a week ago, all right? The, the train is stripling. I didn't even think about it until I read one of Shy's pieces, and Shy had it yeah. in there, and I went, huh. That's actually definitely what they should do. <laughs> like that is, well, that is obviously the way to go about this thing. Why wouldn't you do that? That like I, I don't even really understand the case of well, you try to win the game that's in front of you. It's like okay, yeah, sure. You're also you're not trying to lose the game with Ross Stripling. Like that's not what you're doing in that case. But the real point of curiosity for me too in this, and like this adds to it, and this would lock it up and seal it up for me is. Um, should the Gossman cut even play a percentage point into the decision tomorrow? Uh, should the Jays win tonight? Uh, I don't think that it will. He's feeling fine, um, and it's something that he deals with throughout the season. I mean, this has been something that I talked to him in spring training about it and wrote a piece at sportsnet.ca about his, like, rather involved finger care. Yeah, routine. you were the laser. You were, like, the, you know, the, the Watergate guy. I couldn't think of you. the Carl Bernstein of getting the laser. Yeah, so he's like he's got like a really, really like he's got a routine that he goes through with the lasers and with all kinds of different like ointments that he puts on. He's got these different sort of adhesives that he paints onto his nail because his nail is always cracking because yeah. of that splitter. 
Um, and it's a good thing when Kevin Gosman has blisters because that means the splitter's working. Like, for it to move and for it to work, he has to have a blister. Like, that's just, like, his, it's his gift and his curse, right? That he throws the, it's part and parcel. It comes with, with the territory of being a splitter pitcher. He's making a bunch of money throwing splitters, so he has to deal with these blisters, and he has to have these whole treatment routines in between his outings. So it's, it's not something that, honestly, I'm concerned about. I think it was just a very precautionary move to get him out of that last outing of the season because it didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. We just want him to be at his best for this outing in this series. I just didn't like the quote about it irritating him when he threw the splitter. That was the only thing that made me go, ugh, that, that's... I don't know how, again, routine that is. You're around it way more. Um, you would actually know the severity of it. It's just, you're heading into a postseason series, and he's clearly the team's, I would say, second, you know, well, he's obviously their second most important pitcher. But I don't know where you'd rank him in terms of most important players, but he's chief among them. And so hearing that, yeah, the guy who has one of the best pitches in all of baseball, that his finger gets irritated when he throws that pitch, eh, didn't make me feel very good. So That's just part of it. It's from yeah. the pitch. It's the friction, right, yeah. from the seam on his middle finger. Well, then so say that. Like say that, Kevin. Push. Like, we're all here reading the quote, and we don't know. Say the rest. Yeah, uh, he showed me his finger in spring training. This is spring training, so he'd only thrown, like, live BPs to that point, and his finger was already mangled. Like, it was already all bruised under the fingernail and everything. Like, he already had, like, what he would call a blood blister that he would have to have yeah. go, like, have drained. And they actually right. drain the stuff out of there. It's pretty gross, man. Yeah. But he goes through it. He'll, he'll take you through his whole process. Yeah, that's the end of this. <laughs> He's like, you want to? He'll take you through his old blood draining plan for his blood blisters. Wow, fun! You, that's what you got into sports journalism for. You know what though? This is actually a perfect segue because I, I love talking sports with you because you don't look at things the way most people do, and and I don't mean that as a slight to anyone, but yeah, you have a different way of looking at things, and um, different stuff usually interests you. And I don't know if you do it in a hipster way sometimes or you're actively looking to go against the grain or if it is authentically you. But what do you think is the most overlooked part of the series right now? Yeah, I think I'm just a weirdo. Yeah, I think that too. I'm sorry to break it to you. I think think I'm diagnosing you as that. That that might be the one. An odd person who doesn't really fit in anywhere. Uh, Um, You fit in. You fit in with me. (laughs) An under-the-radar thing, I would say, like, I think these two teams are going to shift the hell out of each other. Like, I think that, like, we're going to have shift restrictions next year, and this series might just show you why. Because these two teams are going to be shifting so, so aggressively. They both shifted aggressively during the regular season. The Blue Jays have all these right-handed hitters in their lineups, and the the Mariners love shifting righties. Like We usually think about shifts against lefties, but the Mariners shift righties really aggressively, and they did so against the Blue Jays when they played them this year, and we all know how much the Blue Jays have, have shifted all year long. So I do wonder if there's going to be points in these games where the Blue Jays have to start thinking about hitting a bit more situationally and sort of taking what they're given and going against those shifts and saying like, all right, I'm going to just flick something in the right field and extend an inning and keep things going and pass along to the next guy. And maybe this is how we try to scratch across some runs against Luis Castillo, who's like whipping 98 mile an hour fastballs and crazy sliders away from us. I think that's an underrated thing. It's just how the teams are going to line up defensively and counter each other defensively and how the lineups respond to that. Because it's funny, man, this year in Seattle, they had a lot of the same conversations we did about, wow, this lineup's so streaky, and why won't they go the other way? And wow, they're so pull-heavy, and they're so do-and-die with the homer, and they have these runs where they feel like they just can't buy a hit. And then they have these runs where they're incredible, right? Like I, you, Seattle has had a very similar 
year in, of discourse with their with their offense. So I think that's an underrated thing in this in this series. Yeah, Mariners. I don't I don't really know what DRS is, but I read today that, or I think it's defensive run saved. I guess that makes sense. Yes, defensive run saved. That they're top ten. So maybe, yeah, maybe defense is going to be a massive story in this series. And it's something that the Jays have, like, worked on as a team, I think, over the past year. Uh, like a year or two ago, all we could talk about, I remember conversations with Shulman nonstop of just, hey, if you look at the best teams in baseball, the Dodgers and the Rays. Dodgers and Rays were two years ago because, yeah, that was pandemic World Series. Um, the big differentiator between them and the Jays, other than, you know, the youth and payroll and a bunch of those other things, but it was defense. And remembering that come playoff time, that is a huge, huge thing for baseball in games where it is just one run. And I do think that this is going to be like, I like that answer because I think it ties in with something that I was thinking about or like earlier this morning, which is, yeah, this, this is going to be a big series for guys like Bo Bichette defensively. Um, some of the outfielders, I think again, like a Teoscar Hernandez um, specifically, who has struggled at times with this. But, yeah, the, the Blue Jays are really going to have to show that some of the defensive improvements that they've made or some of the question marks that they have in the field can come through in big games because people are going to remember them if they make mistakes. The Blue Jays yesterday during their workout were just running endless defensive drills. Yeah. Like they were doing pitchers fielding practice, they the grounders to third, throws to home. They're doing it on the road trip too, by the way. But, like, yesterday during the workout – they were really dialing in on defense. And that is something that the 2015 and 2016 Blue Jays teams would have never done. Mm-hmm. And their workout before a wild card series would have been Edwin and, and Jose trying to hit some bombs. And uh, I don't know, maybe some like casual chat in the outfield and then back into the dugout. Like this team was running serious fielding practice. And I don't think it was just eyewash. Like I think the Blue Jays are really determined not to beat themselves in this series. Look, if you come up against the better team, and if Luis Castillo just dominates you, or if you know, Alec Manoa has a shaky outing, or like, fine, you can live with that if you get beat by the other guys. Sure. But if you get beat because you are committing errors, right? Because you know unforced errors on the base pass, if you're getting picked off, if you're you know having throws home, sailing wide of the plate, and two run score on a throwing error, things like that, you can't live with that. And the Blue Jays don't want to have that happen. So I, I think it was more than just I watched the amount of fielding practice they've been doing lately, and, and particularly yesterday. A hundred percent, man. I, this is what got Charlie fired was the team seemed immature and they felt like they weren't taking a step in that regard. And yeah, it's, it's always like a hardcore confirmation bias sometimes when those things happen, like we really crystallize them when they make those mistakes. But I, I, I feel what you just said there deeply in terms of if they make those mistakes, if they lose this series because of that, that that's really the only way to me anyways, where everything sort of gets thrown into question again, right? Like all of the momentum of the last month of the season where they really did look like a maturing group and the record under Schneider and just, you know, the way that bow got hot and the way that Springer rebounded in a form, just the, the bullpen, like there were so many positives from that last month of the year, but yeah, to see that in big moments in a playoff game. Uh, yeah. I, I really do think that that's the one thing that's going to set the fan base on fire in terms of a, uh, yeah, okay, you know what, maybe there was more changes that this team needs than just simply running it into next year and, and trying to bring back essentially as much of the status quo. So um, last one for you. Where do you see the biggest um, gap between these two teams in the series? I think the Blue Jays' offense has the biggest gap on the Mariners' offense, so I would say that. Like, I just think that Toronto's lineup is a lot better, and I just don't think that you're really worried about Seattle's 
right now. I mean, you know, Julio Rodriguez is an absolute monster star. and one of the like, just the, like sens- sensational, one oh. of the best players in the game. But he's banged up, so we'll see. Like, we'll see what version of him the Mariners are getting. They're not going to have Sam Haggerty. They're not going to have Jesse Winker, right? So, like that lineup is yeah. shortened right now. Like, I, if you're the Blue Jays, you got to feel like you can get Mitch Haniger out. You got to feel like you get Cal Rally out and Carlos Santana out. Like, you really got to feel good about matching up with this lineup. So, I think that's probably the biggest gap. Maybe a low key gap would be the velo in the bullpen towards Seattle. Like Seattle's got some pretty monstrous dudes coming out of their bullpen. Wait till Andres Munoz pitches in this series. Yeah, I think I think Munoz is the best reliever in baseball. Like just hands down. Like he is an absolute nightmare. He's a he's such a problem. Better than Diaz. He should, he should be their closer. Yeah, dude, Munoz is unbelievable. He yeah. should be their closer a million times out of a million over Paul Seawald. And yeah. I feel like I feel like Paul Seawald is their closer just because he's a veteran. He's been there before. He's done it. He's been in the role for a long time. Yeah. But Munoz is the guy that worries me if yeah. I'm the Blue Jays late in the game. They're, but they're they're For definitely sure. going to do the thing where it's playoff baseball and the roles get moved around based on like which part yeah. of the Jays lineup is up. Like they're they're not going to use Munoz against like you know the the seven eight nine if it means that Sewell's got to close against the top of the lineup. Like that's just not going to happen. I think they're going to flip those roles. I mean, he's up over one like one hundred plus like yeah. one up to no, one hundred two. 90 slide, doesn't walk anybody. He hasn't given up a homer since June. Yeah. Diego Castillo is going to come out throwing like an insane amount of sliders Diego with like Castillo, mid-90 feet. That Jays fans it. are going to get terrified when they see him, and then they're going to watch him, and they're going to go, oh, it's not the same. It's not what it used to be. He'll walk some dudes, man, yeah. but he, he may just contact really well, and his uh-huh. fastball has good sync. You know, he gets a lot of rollover. And then Matt Brash, when he's in the zone, yeah. has really nasty stuff. Yeah, like, no. He has the hard time commanding it, but his stuff is legit. So I think that there is a, there's a gap in terms of velocity and stuff in the bullpen. I don't know if there's going to be a gap in results. Cause I don't think the blue Jays bullpen gets as much credit as it should. Mm-hmm. Like I think Anthony Bass has been one of the better relievers results wise in baseball this year and deserves credit for that. Jimmy Garcia has been totally reliable. Adam Simber can get you, can get the job done in like mm-hmm. certain spots situationally. Um, so I, I don't know about like a gap in terms of ability, but like stuff and below the Mariners have it. Yeah, no, I definitely trust the Mariners bullpen a li- little bit more than I do the Jays and the numbers back that up. But yeah, like you look at that Jays trio, their best three guys since August 1st, their bullpen ERA is like 230. And I, I just, I have a lot of faith in those three as well right now. Um, there's a little bit better from the Mariners. They'll have the full season of credit. I think they've got one or two more guys that help bridge the gap if they decide to get a pitcher out earlier, like in the fifth or sixth inning. Like that's that's the bigger question mark for me with the the Blue Jays, as you said it. Like a guy like Simber can get the job done, but I don't feel a immense amount of confidence if they go with Stripling in game two and they decide, hey, two times through the order you're out, you're just giving us you know a five and dive. Uh, like who bridges that gap? Who who gets you that sixth? That that still remains to be like a bit of a question to me in terms of how you're going to get there. I think Tim Mesa has a huge role to sure. play in this series. He does. I wouldn't be surprised if he pitched in each of the first two games. Honestly, like yeah. uh, he's got a very big role to play against this lineup with all the lefties they have. Simber's going to be a bridge for them. Mm. Um, and look, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know if you want to go down this road right now. If there's like a late game spot, the Blue Jays have burned through a bunch of arms, and there's a tough lefty coming up. What, you Kikuchi? say Kikuchi yeah. against a lefty. The Blue Jays are trusting him against left-handers right yeah. now, and I, I think he's, I think he's on the roster, dude. Okay, and I think he should that be. If, 
If she's on your roster, I mean, you're down to 26. You can't hide him, right? Mm -hmm. So you might have a spot. And if it's extras, there's no more, like, zombie runner on second. So Mm -hmm. you might have, like, a 12-inning, 13-inning game where you're using the Yusei Kikuchi. Even earlier than that, you might see a spot against a lefty or two where you're like, Kikuchi might be the guy. Look, in Baltimore, they brought him in with runners on, like, Mm -hmm. against a lefty in a spot that they were clearly trying to get an experience for because they thought, we might be using you in this spot on the weekend. So one thing to keep an eye on. I think he should be on the roster. Um, I it's one I, thing I'll say this before yeah, you go on. It's yeah. and I, I think I know where you're going, but it's one thing to do it in Baltimore where there are I like know. a couple dozen yeah. people. It's going to be another <laughs> yeah. thing to yeah. do it at Rogers Center with yeah. forty nine thousand. Dude, I, I can't I can't set you up as the guy who looks at things differently and then you go. You know what I think is that Baltimore <laughs> in a meaningless game is very different than wild card at, at home in front of a packed house against the Mariners. That's that's a tough look for both of us. No, what I was going to say is it's just. Like, the upside for it is clearly there, right? Like, because he has the stuff, and this has never been the question with Kikuchi. It's never been, oh, what, like, what did they even see in him, right? He's never been that guy. Like, even when he was struggling, you know, he has those one innings where he would put it together, and you instantaneously believe because the stuff is so nice from the left side that you go, I believe too, right? Like, you you just, you, you immediately believe in him. Just for Schneider... Boy, man, if you decide to do that in a leverage spot, in an extra inning spot, I don't think that he would ever do it with runners on. It's hard to envision a scenario like that where he just brings him in. But uh, it, just doing it in leverage and you lose that game, you like you you become Showalter, you know, where people remember you as like, why did they bring in Kikuchi in a playoff game in leverage? And I, I genuinely believe like that cements how we remember John Schneider's season. And that's what I was going to say. Like, that's a tough one to come back from if he costs you a game. If it works out, you're the genius who stuck by your guy. If it doesn't work, every Blue Jays fan, it's, it's going to be the topic that leads every single show, every podcast, every like blog, you name it. It's that's the story of the Blue Jays season. But if you've already used Tim Mesa in the game and yeah. it's late oh, and you got, it. you know, runner on second, two outs, and here's like Kellenic or Frazier, right? Like one of those lefties coming up. It, I mean, the best matchup might be Kikuchi. It might who be. struck out 40% of the batters he's faced as a reliever. Yeah. Right? Hey. And who's finally doing some of the stuff the Jays wanted him to do. Yeah. He's not throwing the cutter anymore. He's throwing the slider harder. Still needs to use his fastball more often, but he's like finally starting to make some of those adjustments that the Jays are harping on him for, for, for the last six months. Hey, buddy, I, like, I, I get the case. And I would say that you should write that at the top of your piece, you know, if they lose that way, so that people try to calm down a little bit, but no one's going to see it. People are going to be up for blood if he costs them a series. Uh, Arden Swelling, um, again, the At Letter podcast is just excellent. Uh, you guys are killing it. You're crushing it. Looking great on TV, pal. Uh, can't wait to see you down at the park. Yeah, enjoy it, J.D. See you, buddy. Uh, Arden Swelling. Um, I said that playoff baseball is the best because it gets the adrenaline pumping like nothing else, right? Like makes you feel sick and excited at the same time. It's, it's love. It's the love you feel for baseball, for playoff baseball. It's addicting, but yeah, I don't want to see you say Kikuchi in leverage. I'm all, Hey, I'm, I'm a, you say guy. I root for you say I'm on his team. I go get it done, man. I'm pulling for you. You could have an impact, but mm, no, not now, not like this. 
never like this. And with that, it's time for action brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19 plus Ontario only. Please play responsibly. Um, that I, I won my bet yesterday. Broncos, the, the under, I also had Naheem Hines, which most books refunded because he gets concussed on the second, the third play of the game, which is brutal because he, well, cause you know, his health, sure. But he was getting that. He was getting those 27 and a half yards. Like that was the lock of the century. That's the best bet that never was. He got two targets on the very first drive. And then the rest of the game is like Dion Jackson is getting looks, but boy, that Broncos offense stinks. Russell Wilson stinks. And I am absolutely loving it. The only thing that I want to say about this that scares me a little bit is there's like a Seattle thing happening here where Seattle's coming up. You know, it's everything's coming up Millhouse, but for Seattle. And I don't want that to extend into tonight. You know what I'm saying? Like Seattle is having parties. I got my friend Rick in Seattle text me. We're at the bar. We're watching the game and people are losing it. They're treating it like the Super Bowl. I'm going, yes. Hell Yes. Eat it, Russ. You thought you were the man? Oh, you stink. You stink. It was all Pete. It was all the defense. It was all Marshawn. It was all DK. It was all Lockett. It was none of you. All right? Yeah, that's how bitter I am. Two first, two seconds. <laughs> 242 million. Oh, my God. Imagine those Broncos losers that left that overtime. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What an embarrassing fan base. Broncos fans, listen to this. Clowns. They represent you all, all right? They represent every one of you. Russell Wilson, we're going to go to the Super Bowl. Wrong. You're not doing anything. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Broncos stink. Awful team. Bottom 10. Thank you for the draft picks. Moving on. Time to do our best <laughs> bets for the weekend. Joe Bosch. Jobo, what do you got? You said I'd love your best bet for this weekend. You are going to love it. <clears throat> Matthew Stafford. Is it, is it another bet like <clears throat> Broncos missed the playoffs? Because, <laughs> yeah, I love that bet. Well, no, uh, I can make that one if you yeah. want, but no, today it's an anti-Matthew Stafford. Under 256.5 passing yards at minus 115 on DraftKings. Dallas, best pass rush in the NFL right now. 56% pass rush winner is a team. Micah Parsons is a dog. Stafford has only gone over that number once this year, and it was against the Falcons. Every other defense he's played that's been somewhat good, he's been held to under that. Outside of Cooper Cup, their receiving has just been Tyler Higby and really nobody else. Allen Robinson's been very underwhelming, and Odell Beckham Jr. still has not re-signed with the team, or any other team for that matter. So Matthew Stafford, under on the receiving I like that update on Odell Beckham that you gave me. Like, uh, I just wanted to let you know. Just Odell not with the team. Like, hmm, very good to know. (laughs) Well, I'm saying that because I think people expected him to be back with the Rams this year. Also, not on the Rams this year. Um, I love this bet. It's kind of annoying because we're we're picking from the same game. Uh, I'm just taking the Cowboys on the spread. Mm -hmm. I don't really get this number. I don't really get this line. It's actually a little scary to me because. To me, this should be two and a half, three for the Rams, three and a half for the Rams. Like, what are the Rams shown that gives us any confidence that this should be, that they should be laying almost a, a touchdown against a team that clearly has a competent defense? Listen, I hate both these teams. I hate the Cowboys. I hate the Rams. Uh, this gives me no joy, but yeah, I, I think the Cowboys defense is good. I think their pass rush is legit. And you look at the Rams offensive line right now, they had a bunch of guys who had never played together last week. Never. Not at a practice, not at any, like that was the grouping with their offensive line. They're beat up and 
So for them to try to scheme something up to slow down Micah Parsons in this game doesn't feel overly realistic to me. I just think that like Dallas is going to hang around. This isn't going to be a blowout. So yeah, give me the Cowboys plus five and a half. That was time for action brought to you by DraftKings, um, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19 plus Ontario only. Please play responsibly. Um, Should Gabriel Moreno be on this playoff roster? And if so, What's his role? Let's talk to Caleb Joseph about it. Former catcher, current analyst for Sportsnet. Quick break. That's next. Sportsnet 590. The Fan. I got to make adjustments too tonight, you know. It's not just the Jays. Time. Got to adjust my daily schedule. Beers. Can't have too many. But you get caught up in the moment, right? And then when they tell you, like, hey. It's a tight baseball game here. Is tied going to the seventh? You think I'm going to get one? No. You got to get more. You got to make It's all about adjustments. Let's talk about it with Caleb Joseph. Sportsnet Blue Jays analyst, former MLB catcher. What's up, buddy? How we doing? Good. Good morning. Excited about the prospect of playoff baseball coming up here in just a few hours oh yeah it's not a prospect anymore this is happening buddy it's going down <laughs> it's like don't say prospect like you know something we don't know or you're like it might not go no, down guys no. do you think the roof no, being just, open or not you know, matters i do I, okay I, tell me why i heard a i heard a bunch of players talking about the fact that they wanted it closed that they wanted that atmosphere and yeah. i remember playing in 2016, and it was closed, and it was absolutely crazy. It was, it's much louder. I will say I do believe that the ball flies better with the roof open. Mm-hmm. And uh, my understanding is that the team can request what they want to do. At the end of the day, it will come down to Major League Baseball that will determine whether it's open or not is my understanding. Major League Baseball decides that? Uh, it's my understanding that they kind of have the last say with it being open or closed. I remember there being a few games in Houston where they wanted it closed and it was actually open. I think they wanted it closed for the same reason. The Blue Jays players want it closed just for that atmosphere because it is is a little bit louder. Actually, it's a lot louder when it's Hmm. closed. Um, But I think the weather was so nice that uh, MLB wanted to, to go ahead and open it. So it was open. Dude, that's so annoying, though, because, like, Baltimore can ruin their beautiful park by changing the outfield to try to gain a little advantage for their team. And the Blue Jays can't decide whether or not they want the advantage that they feel is fit. Like, that just doesn't feel fair to me, but whatever. I, I want it open because I'm selfish, and that's my viewing experience. And, dude, it like, you've sat in the seats, right? Like, have you ever actually yes. just, yeah, okay. I, I don't know, buddy. You're kind of like, you know, you're with the, you're with the elites, you know, you're, you got your like little studio. <laughs> you're, I don't know where you go. You're probably in a suite. Like you never sit with the people. Like you, they probably, like, you rub elbows with me. You're like, ew, I'm was a major league baseball player. <laughs> you know? It's like, I'm not like you guys. Uh, I get to hang out with uh, Jamie and Joe uh, in the, in the, that's what I mean. in the little, the little sweet area. But in the seats with the, the commoners, us peasants, like it can get hot with that roof closed like that roof closes and it just gets like it gets swampy if you know what i'm saying like it can get sure. real swampy oh, yeah. real quick and so let let us fellas air it out you know like i'll i'll sacrifice a little bit of noise if it means you know a little bit of more comfort and throwing on a, a sweater like that I'll, i'm down with that but that's interesting because i hadn't really thought about 
how much louder it is and how much it impacts players. But I was talking to uh, Ryan Dempster about this earlier in the week. He was adamant. I actually couldn't believe how adamant he was about how much it can affect guys like crowd noise and volume. And, you know, we saw it in 2015 when the Rangers started like bobbling everything in that inning where just like the, the roof was yeah. coming off. But yeah. yeah, like, is that your feel too? Is that like, how does that crowd noise impact guys? Do you remember a specific moment where it just like really started to get to some guy? Like, again, you don't need to name names, but like looking in some teammates eyes or looking in some opponent's eyes and seeing how loud it gets, not even just here in general and how it impacts like a player. Yeah. I'll take you back to last homestand. Um, uh, did you remember when Garrett Cole balked? Oh. <laughs> And uh, just out of nowhere, balked. I, I mean, paid the for the, what is it, the NFT. Like, that, that's mine now. I own that. Like, I, I own there Garrett Cole Melting Down NFT, and I that's my art. So that was, I, I think a lot of that had to do with crowd noise. They were getting on their feet. They were rowdy. It was uh, just a moment, just a lapse in, I don't know whether it was focus or what it was. Maybe the catcher was set up on the wrong side of the, the plate. But remember, like, everybody's going to have, uh, the the pitchcom stuff. So they have the the little earpiece thing in the in the hat, and the more noise you can see Romano in the ninth inning a lot. He covers his ear with his glove so that he could potentially hear. My thing is, when's the last time a lot of these guys have done actual traditional signs? It's probably been four or five oh, months that. since they have used traditional signs. So if you're talking about crowd noise when the Blue Jays are on offense maybe it gets so loud that some of these guys can't even hear the little pitch com voice indicating what pitch they're supposed to be calling from the catcher. And they might have to make adjustments that way. So it could be a huge factor. I remember playing, you know, in the wild card game here in 16 and they had to stop the game for a little bit because the fans were so rowdy. A couple items had found their way onto the field. We won't go into that too yeah, much, that but that it was, uh, we went too far. We went so too far. We went too far. It was so loud, and I can remember being in the dugout thinking, it's so loud, I can't even hear myself thinking. And these are going to be new atmospheres, especially for that Seattle Mariners team. A lot of the Blue Jays played in the 2020 playoffs, if you actually call them the playoffs, because there really wasn't any crowd. There was cardboard cutouts. So both teams are really getting a ton of kind of first-time experience in the playoffs. And, yes, absolutely, the – Crowd noise is a huge, huge deal. It takes three or four innings to kind of get accustomed to the new atmosphere, and that's what we're going to talk about today on Sportsnet is just how it might look a little sloppy early on in the game because guys are getting so accustomed to the noise and the constant loud noises that go on during playoff games. Dude, I got so excited when you were telling me about 2016 and that you couldn't think that I almost said we like I was on the Jays, like we 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 got to you guys. <laughs> you know, yeah. We beat you, you guys. Did. Yeah, we cracked you. you. We got we cracked you guys mentally. You guys were in a tizzy. Like the crowd got to you. That that one guy threw the beer and it was just over. You know what? That guy shouldn't be the villain. Maybe that he's made out to be. No, I'm just kidding. That guy's yeah, it's a bad guy. Don't throw sure. any beers. All right, don't throw any beers. Everybody. It was a great atmosphere. I'm yeah. expecting something very similar uh, for the next hopefully two possibly three games here in Toronto. Yeah. I, I, they just, this is a separator. And I listened to, uh, I listened to Avila's, uh, uh, yeah. Avila talk yeah. about, about uh, playing a lot of playoff games here in Toronto. And I thought, man, I, I've played in four different venues during the playoffs. And I thought by far Roger center was the best atmosphere. And then hearing him talk um, on Blair and Barker, 
was another really cool reminder that it, it wasn't just me. He felt the same way. He felt like it was a real separator in that it was a unique place. It got super loud. It was uh, it was much more loud and much more fanatic, you know, than, mm-hmm. than any other place he had played. So it's it's a real separator. It's a real indicator, and that's that's what the fans bring, and that's what Toronto brings. They bring that separator. And it could be a huge advantage during this uh, series versus the Mariners. Dude, it's, it is special here. Um, and I think that sometimes we as Toronto fans can lose that perspective a little bit because we want it so bad. Like they, they want the acknowledgement from people. It's just like, you know, they're so hungry for it. Um, but, you know, I just read the NBA GM poll and the Raptors were like almost 50% voted as the best home crowd. And I know that Rogers Center is different. It's a huge ballpark. It gets incredibly loud. It gets incredibly rowdy. When you're in there, you just it, it does feel like the whole building shakes at times. And it, it's got like a soccer feel to it, those playoff games. And, and it just, it does. It can get to that level of just hype in the building. And I can't wait to be there for it. And yeah, I do think that it probably will present some challenges. And it's, it's really, you know, interesting to hear your perspective and guys like Avila's perspective, guys who've actually done it and been there and been to other ballparks that actually does resonate. And yeah, makes me feel better about the Blue Jays having home field advantage. Uh, again, we did it. Um, Gabriel Moreno, you think he should be on the playoff roster? Siddle was saying, was talking about it. You, you like that idea too? It's a great prospect. Uh, it, it, it just depends on kind of where they want to go with a couple other spots. Quite mm-hmm. honestly, I think a lot of it might have to do with the availability of Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and or Santiago Espinal. Uh, they were out taking batting practice yesterday. They looked pretty good. I think Santiago is a little bit further along than Lourdes. I, I'm just not 100% sure how much Lourdes is going to be able to push the envelope so I think there is a position where if, if they don't know if Lourdes can really go, the question is, do you have a guy on your bench that could maybe pinch hit and that might be it? Or do you add a little bit protection for the catcher position if you're going to DH Danny Jansen? I mean, you got to think Danny Jansen, arguably the third or fourth hottest hitter in that Jays lineup, maybe behind Merrifield, Bichette. Um, so you got to think that they might put him in there if that's the case you never want to get really exposed at the catcher position if you do have some sort of injury and you have to lose a dh if both of them are in the lineup i can totally see that but i could also see a scenario where he's not in there um if he's in there for me it would be it would be just pure insurance against those guys i'm not really sure how much i would love him actually catching in a playoff scenario not because he's not talented, just because of the experience factor. And things start to really speed up. They speed up in the big leagues in general, but in playoffs, it is it is a flash. The game goes by in a flash. It's how fast it's happening. And so I, I can see how they could come to either conclusion. To me, it's going to depend on whether or not Lourdes can go and um, Espinal's availability. Then they might have to maneuver a couple things around. They're talking about possibly going an extra pitcher in the bullpen for me it was what you saw on the 28-man roster you sub in Guriel, you sub in Espinal for Otto Lopez and for Moreno Mm -hmm. that's 20 that's 28 guys for 26 spots and then the two the two deductions for me was Mitch White and Yusei Kikuchi and then that's your roster that's the roster that I had picked Um, but again I'm just in a random hotel room here in Toronto I'm not making any real decisions brutal Get down there. <laughs> Dude, so like, what are you doing? <laughs> Make a decision. But I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. they if they maneuvered around where they had coverage yeah. on a 
for, for a, a catcher, I really wouldn't be surprised because if they're going to DH either catcher because they're hitting so well, exactly. If you lose, the, if you lose that catcher, dude, one of those catchers due to an injury, you're in a, you're in a tough spot. Last thing you want is at Santiago Espinal catching in a playoff game. Right? So it, it sounds, so I was talking to Arden before you and Zwelling was saying es, Espinal's good to go. Like he's just, he's there and he'll probably mostly be a defensive replacement because Hey, something happens to Bo, something happens to Whit Merrifield, late game substitution. One of those things like he's in, uh, it's it's like a little less clear exactly what's up with Lourdes and how ready he is and how willing the Jays are to throw him in and actually play him because he's been out for so long. And yeah, man, I, I got, I'm, I'm running out of time here. I wanted to ask you a, a Gabriel Moreno question in terms of like his development, but we'll just kind of stick with this. How, how tough is it for a guy to come back? Cause Lord is a good hitter, man. Like, and he's made some great adjustments this season, right? Like less power, more on base, you know, more hits, like, he, he's just changed a lot. Like, the guy is very, very capable. But how hard is it to just kind of get reacclimated, especially when you said things speed up? Yeah, now you're in a postseason series. You're not playing, you know, a bum squad here. You're not, trying, you're not getting reacclimated, getting a, a game against the Orioles where they're just going to throw out, you know, a bullpen game or their fifth and sixth starters to keep their team healthy at the end of the year. Like, you're jumping right in the fire. Like, what's the hardest thing for you to do as a hitter when you step back behind that plate, how difficult do you think it's going to be for him to kind of get his feet wet and, and underneath him again? Yeah, I was asked this question earlier, and I said, you just yeah. really can't expect much from Lourdes. Can't expect anything. I mean, going so long without an A-B, there's only so many drills you can do in the cages. You can pump the velocity machine up to 100 miles an hour, try and get some sort of timing down, but you really can't do anything until you see it from the major league speed. And so... The timing of this whole injury is really terrible. I mean, you ask me a month ago who was their most consistent hitter, I would say Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And to lose a guy like that has been softened by the emergence of Tapia and him playing so well, especially finding ways to get on base. But for Lourdes to come back, and remember, it's not going to be against the AAA guy that just got sent up to cover some innings here and there and, and a 10-0 to uh, losing effort where they bring in some you know, 14th guy on the, on the, the bullpen, it's going to be the horses. So you're going to, he's going to be going in there facing the big dogs and nothing but the big dogs. And it's already hard enough to hit in the big leagues in general, much less after you've had such a lengthy absence from seeing game timing, no minor league games going on where he could go down there and, and get some minor league ABs and at least try to simulate that type of game speed. It's going to be very, very tough. And I think that's one of the factors they're trying to, figure out is how can he actually really contribute now i mean if you believe in lourdes and his bat to ball skills he, he he can square up anything i mean he can fall out of bed and square a ball up if you want so i believe in him as a player even with the absence do i believe that it would be at the clip that he was producing when he was injured probably not but does he still give me a better option off the bench than potentially some other guys absolutely so it's going to be interesting to see how they round it out here. I guess they got to make a decision here in a, a couple hours. Uh, so it'll be fun to see what happens and uh, how they maneuver that. But I, I hate it for Lourdes because he's been such an integral part yeah. of this team, getting them to the position they're in. And then maybe circumstantially, he's not, he, he might not even find himself on the playoff roster. Yeah, it's so, it's, it is wild, the reminder that you get to take up until right now, you know, to, to slide the playoff roster. Like, and five minutes before, they're like, okay, now we know. Like now, now we know what the, what's actually going on here. I a hundred percent agree, man. And uh, yeah, enjoy 
the rest of your morning in the hotel, get out, stretch your legs. And yeah, if you ever want to take a tour around the peasantry, around where the, they sell the beers, <laughs> you just, you just fire me a text buddy and you know, we'll throw one, we'll tip a, we'll tip a blue can. Awesome. We'll throw hey, it I enjoy it. it <laughs> enjoy it. It's uh, you never know when it's your last, right? So playoff baseball is always fun here in Toronto. I'm going to enjoy the mess out of it. Hopefully these guys uh, whip tail and uh, move on to Houston. Oh yeah, buddy. Caleb Joseph, Sportsnet analyst, former MLB catcher. Thanks for the time, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Um, Oof, that, uh, here, okay, I'll close on the Moreno and Lourdes thought. Because I hadn't really thought about it as between those two guys. I'd always sort of had it between Kikuchi and whether or not he, you'd carry the extra pitcher. I think, I think you gotta, I think you're adding Kikuchi. Maybe not, but. Arden made a pretty compelling case for why you'd want to have him out there. Just sometimes these games do go long. You can find yourself in extra innings. Remember, you know, it was 2015 back here at the ballpark when Jays went in extras. Having a guy like that around potentially could help you. But if it's between Moreno and Lourdes, I feel more confident with Lourdes at the dish. So if they're just pinch hitting, great. But the versatility of what Moreno could bring them defensively, should a catcher go down? or something happened to Chapman at third, even being able to throw him in the outfield for a potential spot, like to replace where Lourdes would be asked to play defensively, that feels like it tips the scales a little bit for me. But then there's the veteran quotient. The You got to put Lourdes in, but I won't be heartbroken if they go with Moreno. That's a tough call, man. They're gonna. This is going to be a tough call for these guys, those final couple roster spots. That's fun. Anyway, subscribe to the podcast, share it, review it, do all those sweethearted things, and we'll talk to you after the Jays win a playoff series.